Hello and welcome to The Last Tranche. The latest inflation figures have just been published in the US showing consumer prices increased by 4.9% in April from one year prior, a lower number than most predictions. The Federal Reserve has also recently signaled its willingness to pause further interest rate rises, and a growing number of analysts now expect interest rate cuts before the end of the year. These changes signal big things ahead for the investment landscape, but what impact will these developments have on the CLO market? That remains to be seen as financial sector stress is still visible, most clearly in the case of First Republic Bank, uh, which was sold to JP Morgan this month. So the volatility that characterized the early months of 2023 looks set to continue. CLO formation has happened at a sluggish pace, uh, with just four new deals printing in May to date in the US. What's the best method of investing through this kind of market with so many conflicting economic indicators? Today, I'm joined by Ujaval Desai, Head of Structured Products Investing at Sandpoint Capital Management. Ujaval, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. There's a lot of economic information to absorb lately, some of it positive, but much of it is still more on the negative side. What's your sense of the overall mood of the CLO market? Is there a consensus and does that match with your own outlook? I think in terms of the environment we're in right now, we think there's a lot of uncertainty and we feel there's a lot of downward pressure on corporate earnings as well as on ratings. I think the impact on companies and sectors is not going to be uniform. So the outlook really depends on the specifics of each credit in your portfolio. In terms of the CLO market, what we're seeing right now is actually there are two distinct markets in there, the two parallel markets. The primary market, as you were saying earlier, is not functioning properly. There isn't that much of an arbitrage right now. There's lack of capital up and down the capital structure. And there's also lack of new loan creation. Loan issuance has been very sluggish. In fact, the loan market has shrunk this year, first time in a long time. So as a result of that, the CLO market is really not functioning. Uh, properly. Uh, the secondary market, on the other hand, has been very active. Um, in fact, just last month alone, we had a billion dollars of equity trade uh, and a lot more up the capital structure. So it, it really depends on you know which market you're focused on and the uncertainty in the markets will continue given all the volatility we're seeing, especially with, on the one hand, uh, inflation numbers being high. On the other hand, the uh, the credit stress you're seeing in the banking sector. Uh, and so the interplay of all that is going to determine uh, which way we go. There's still a lot of talk around um, a recession and whether or not one is coming or whether we're already in one. Not necessarily taking a view on that question, but what do you see as the outlook for credit quality in particular? So I think, uh, you know, whether we are in a recession or not, we think a recession is already priced into the broader loan market with the loan index trading in the $93 range right now. Overall, I think you know the loan market has priced in a significant slowdown in earnings and rating downgrades. However, you know the impact of this is going to you know remain volatile as the macro conditions play out. You know overall we are. Uh, reasonably optimistic about the prospects of the loan market in the medium term uh, and feel that most loans will recover at par. However, there are a number of credits trading at distress levels, in, even sort of stress levels in the 80s, 70s and 80s. And the real question is, what path will those credits take? And that I think is going to dictate the performance of uh, the broader CLO market going forward. You've invested through recessions before. Obviously, 2008 crisis is the one that stands out most in people's minds. But there was also the downturn that uh, came with the onset of COVID-19 three years ago. Do you think the current market environment is similar to either of those or both of those? Or do you think we're in a very different kind of environment right now? 
I think we're in a very different environment. During the GFC and COVID crises, the Fed had the ability to stimulate the economy and provide massive liquidity to dampen the impact of the credit crisis. As a result, we saw markets recover very quickly and uh, not many investors in credit markets, including CLO investors, actually took any losses. Uh, if you, you know, had the ability to weather the storm and were not forced sellers, you really didn't lose money in the two crises that uh, that you mentioned. And so what we found was that, you know, even if you look at zero equity returns during the GFC, they were in the mid-teens to 20%. They were actually higher than what was projected before the crisis began. And even during COVID, we saw many investors generate very strong returns. In 2020, you know, many investors, many equity tranches had positive returns. In 2021, which was a bumper year, you know, returns in zero equity exceeded 20 to 30%. So, you know, that was those crises which were very different from what we have today. In, in today's environment, we don't think the central banks have uh, the same tools available, and we don't think they're going to bail out the markets as they did before. So, you know, they have to fight the inflation and uh, all the other stresses that are out there. And so, uh, one of the other differences we find this time around is that um, loans don't have uh, covenants. So, during the GFC, most loans had covenants. And so, the lenders, uh, including CLO managers, had the ability to have a seat at the table and uh, and really get additional protections if a company got in trouble. Uh, right now, uh, almost all loans have zero covenants. And so lenders really have no say in the process. And we're seeing an unprecedented number of aggressive techniques being used by sponsors, by distressed debt funds to destroy value for mainstream lenders such as CLOs. So we think that you know in this sort of cycle, defaults will increase uh, pretty fast over the next year or two. And more importantly, uh, recovery rates are going to be much lower than what we've seen in the past. So if you recall, in historically, loan senior secured loans have had recoveries in the 80 cent range. We think the average recoveries in this crisis, this cycle will be closer to 60. But the bigger issue is the dispersion around 60. There's a huge dispersion that we think we'll see with some loans recovering, you know, kind of close to the historical averages of 80 cents, but many loans recovering, you know, zero to 20 cents on the dollar. So that dispersion of performance uh, is going to have a significant impact on, on, on CLO performance and the returns that investors can generate in this crisis. That's a really interesting point. And also just keeping with the idea of recessions, but thinking about it maybe less from a credit quality angle and more from a manager behavior angle. Do you think it's possible that some people could maybe draw the wrong lessons from their experience with COVID in 2020 when the recovery was so fast and so and so um, strong that maybe are not this applicable this time around? Absolutely. I think what we're seeing is that both on the CLO manager front, as well as on the CLO investor front, people have very short memories and they just look at kind of the experience that they have just had uh, and try to draw parallels from that. So uh, in terms of, if you look at manager strategies, you know, uh, there's certain sectors that uh, work wonderfully well, you know, as we're coming out of COVID and those exact sectors are not doing well this time around. And many managers kind of have not shifted their views and have kind of stayed in those, exposed to those sectors in this particular downturn. And so that certainly is going to be problematic for them. If you look at CLO investors, if you look at the experience we had during COVID was a very quick, uh, you know, V-shaped recovery. It was actually, okay, in fact, you made a lot of returns if you bought sort of, you know, broken 
kind of old vintage troubled potentially troubled uh, CLO equity tranches uh, because of the recovery that you saw in the underlying markets and the liquidity that came in quickly the those tranches rallied really fast and so those investors were able to capture a lot of upside through that recovery i think what we have seen in 2022 and what we're seeing now in 23 is that this time around things are going to uh, stay a volatile for a lot longer. And so as a result of that, the tranches, uh, at least on the equity side, that did well last year were the cleanest, uh, higher quality tranches. And the ones that underperformed were the ones that were the risky ones. And our view is that over the next uh, year or two, that same thesis is going to happen again. And so it actually is the exact opposite of what you should be doing uh, this time around versus what ended up do- working well for you during COVID. Want to um, spend a little bit of time, first of all, to looking at um, you know a CLO manager strategy, and then move on a bit afterwards to you know, an investor strategy, especially an equity investor strategy. But if we start with the managers, there's around 150 or so active CLO managers in the market today. We hear a lot about manager tiering, which for many people has more to do with the access to the debt markets at tighter spreads. But when you look at the manager landscape, how do you categorize the different kinds of strategies that are out there that you can see that are available to you as an investor? That's a great question. We spend a lot of time looking at manager performance. We look at sort of positioning managers in our portfolio and trying to figure out what bucket to put them in. So, you know, you have managers that are you know, sort of less risky. Their portfolios are less risky, clean portfolios, very conservative in nature. And and many of those managers have done well through this volatility. But, you know, there are other managers that, you know, do take take some risk. And in our minds, that's okay, as long as you're able to manage that risk properly. And so those managers that have taken more risk and generated higher spreads in their portfolios within that segment, the ones that have done well, have been the ones that actually have traded their portfolios well, have been more proactive in managing credit risk, um, you know, uh, trading out of loans earlier uh, rather than later, and really kind of use the various buckets they have in their CLOs to build back par. And so I think it's really been those types of managers that have done well. You have some managers that, you know, uh, have taken risk, but don't trade at all, or are, you know, um, are even more conservative in nature. But again, they get stuck with credits that start to underperform and then they don't trade, which ends up ultimately hurting their performance. So it really, you know, depends on the type of manager you are sticking to your netting. And for us as an investor to have done our work based on the data we have, and then really be careful in picking those managers that that we think are going to do well, given the backdrop I I, I talked about earlier. It's not exclusively the the manager, because I think also the equity investor and the way that a deal is able to source equity capital, that also has the ability to impact the returns that you could get from any CLO investment, right? Uh, yes, that's absolutely right. Especially in this market today, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there are two kind of parallel markets. There's primary market, and then you have the secondary market. In the primary market, it's more about creating these deals correctly at the right time. So the entry point matters a lot, given the fact that the arbitrage is tight. You have to really time it correctly. So you know, there were times when you should be buying loans, especially during the the initial phases of uh, of the SVB Credit Suisse 
crisis, you know, loans sold off by a point, point and a half, that was a great time to be buying collateral. And so you have to really be careful in timing these deals uh, and then, you know, agreeing to better terms as an equity investor. And so there are there are new issue deals that still make sense and, and, and we've been active in that space. And I think in the secondary markets, it's going to come down to really, again, Obviously, picking the best, the better, better managers, but also spending a lot of time on the tail risk in these portfolios, um, and looking at the structures. And really, it's a combination of all of those things, which will then determine what sort of returns uh, you can get. So, you know, we spend a lot of time, you know, looking at relative value between primary and secondary, and take a lot of time thinking about the type of deals that we should be buying, and then the actual sourcing. In the primary and the actual trading in the secondary, uh, it's very time consuming right now. It's it sort of, you know, everything is kind of by appointment in the secondary market. And as I said, primary markets are much, much slower. So uh, you have to be very patient. And I think that's a very important part in, in how you go about investing your capital today. You've already mentioned one uh, characteristic of any particular CLO, which is the manager being active in um, trading their portfolio is something that tends to lead to outperformance. Are there any other characteristics of a, you know, any, a profile in the secondary market of CLO equity where you think it's um, a positive aspect of it that you look out for? Or is, are there any, um, any, any profiles of CLO equity that you're more bearish on, say, a, a particular vintage with more tail risk? Or yeah, are there any other factors of CLO equity that you're looking at and uh, making these decisions based on? Yeah, so I think it's it's uh, it's going to be a combination of a lot of these things. So uh, for us, you know, manager selection is very important, as I mentioned before. But you know, tail risks, you know, are showing up uh, in all of these portfolios now, and really how that sort of plays out, that risk plays out, is uh, is to be seen. And so we are very very cautious. A lot of time is spent in looking at that tail risk, in looking at underlying credits, and coming up with a view. So we don't want to think of these as black box transactions. We do look at a lot of sort of bottom-up fundamental analysis there. You know, and then you know the structure of the CLO is, is quite important as well. We think that what is really unique about CLOs is the long-term non-mark-to-market liabilities, the locked-up structure that CLOs have, uh, and the ability for the manager to continue to reinvest and continue to trade their portfolio. Given that we tend to prefer and like long dated sort of newer vintage transactions and the longer reinvestment period deals we think have a lot more upside a lot more optionality and also provide a lot more protection to you in the downside the shorter deals have been problematic in this in this environment and that was the case last year as well because you have you know in some cases you are either out of the reinvestment period or you are about to end the reinvestment period. And so the flexibility that the manager has to trade the portfolio is really not there. Um, and you know, one of the concerns we have is what happens post reinvestment period. And you know, it is possible, um, in fact, likely that these deals will not be, the manager will not be able to keep them invested. And so they're going to start to delever. And when that happens, your cost of liability goes up because you you're paying down the, the cheapest cost of your capital, the triple A's first. And then, you know, the arbitrage starts to diminish. And we think that that is when you're going to start to lose returns on your equity tranche. And so it's really, you have to be, you know, very careful about the prepayment risk in, in these uh, shorter deals. And so when we are analyzing equity, we generally prefer longer but if you're looking at shorter, we will sensitize it to prepayment uh, and make sure that we're still protected uh, uh, if, if prepayments were to pick up. Yeah, it's interesting that um, just the you know, the shorter or coming to the end of the reinvestment period 
deals are the ones that you're flagging as uh, the most problematic. It's quite, I think, widely known that um, there's a significant volume of CLOs are going to and are going to exit their reinvestment period this year. How big of a concern is that? I think it is a very important factor in how the market behaves going forward. As you mentioned, 25% of the existing CLO pools are out of reinvestment period. And that number is going to get to about 40% by year end, 2023. So that's a big portion of the market that will most likely, not every deal, but many of those deals will not be able to reinvest uh, any prepayments or trade the portfolio. And so they're going to go static and the the transactions are going to start to shrink. So that has an impact on the loan market, obviously, because CLOs are the biggest buyers of loans. And so if a big chunk of CLOs cannot invest in new issue loans, that obviously you know has a knock-on effect on, on spreads uh, for those loans. In terms of what happens to these deals, that's really the, the most interesting question. You know, many of these deals have decent arbitrage still there. So it's likely that for cleaner deals, these deals with, with and with decent arbitrage, the, the deals will continue for quite some time. So most likely nothing happens nothing happens to those deals and uh, uh, the equity investors will stay in it. And, you know, although you will start to see some prepayment of the AAAs, but by the time the cash flows really get impaired on the equity, it's still going to be, you know, a few years from now. So those deals will just sort of just stay uh, outstanding and remain static. The interesting bit is whether, you know, uh, some deals get called or reset. Those are the two possi- other possibilities. There are a number of deals uh, that are older vintage deals with a lot of tail risk where you know you just can't reset those deals. Resetting those will require uh, a significant amount of capital injection uh, in order to bring the deals back up to a level at which you can get ratings for the new tranches that you're going to issue. And those deals, we think uh, reset is very unlikely. And if the equity nav is positive, which is not the case for many of them, but if loan, the loan market recovers a little bit here, it is possible that some of those deals will become more, uh, will have positive equity NAVs, and therefore the equity investors will have the ability to call the deal, pay off the debt, and really just unwind the transaction. And so that's a that's a that's a real possibility here that a number of deals get called this year and into next year, and uh, that will lead to the CLO market shrinking further. And I think the knock-on effect of that is, you know, the tail risk that's sitting in these deals will have to be sold because the deals are getting called uh, and that puts additional pressure on the prices for those loans. So there is a possibility for those loans to trade down further um, because of the uh, potential selling from the calls. The last group is the, the deal. The deals that get reset. I think you know better quality managers, deals with a less tail risk that have lost less power so far will be the best candidates for a reset. Generally speaking, the reset is gonna be costly because not only you have you know friction costs, setup costs for a reset, you also have to most likely pay up more for your debt given the wider debt levels today. So that's the trade-off that you'll have to analyze. Uh, on the one hand, the possibility of losing leverage and therefore the debt cost going up in the structure itself. And on the other hand, proactively you know, re-levering the structure extending it, but then paying up more for it day one. Uh, and that trade-off is what, as an equity investor, we have to think about and make sure that we get it right. So, But there will be deals that will fall in each of these categories. I wanted to ask you one more question about yeah, the source of a deal's equity capital. There's a lot of talk right now about the difference in performance between deals that have a captive equity fund and those that uh, source their equity from a third party. Do you take a view or have you taken a look at 
at um, how the return profile differs for these two types of equity supporting a deal? I mean, we've had a few years now of data in the post-risk retention age. Is it sufficient to show dispersion in returns between the two types of uh, funds? Yes, I think so. I think there is still, you know, there is data on captive funds. There's data on, on the, obviously, the CLOs that are out there. Third-party data is still harder to get, but we have collected some and we have our own data, obviously. It's important to understand the difference between the two and what is the purpose behind a captive fund. A captive fund is where you have a manager that raises money um, from investors to invest in only that manager's deals. And usually there is a vintage uh, effect because you know if you close your fund today, you're going to have the next two years or so to invest in that manager's pipeline of deals. And so you're going to be spending the money and you're getting that vintage. Um, and it's with that manager only. The concern we have, again, this is not a concern for every manager, but so the concern we have is there are potential conflicts of interest here because the decision to launch a CLO in the case of a captive fund resides solely with the manager themselves, manager of the CLO. And question really is, you know, are there the right incentives there? Are, you know, they're, they're earning fees from doing those deals. And there are times when the arbitrage doesn't make sense, such as what we are going through right now. But there have been a number of deals still done uh, in this market because, you know, and many, and many of them have been captive driven deals. And so for those investors, you know, you're locking in a poor arbitrage uh, because the timing isn't perfect. So there is that impact. Uh, the second thing is just the whole vintage bias issue. Um, you know, uh, you're buying into a fund today, which will invest over the next two years, and you are buying into the fact that you're going to be exposed to those deals from that vintage. And if that vintage ends up being good vintage, you're going to be fine. If it's not, then that's going to be a problem. So if you look at historical captive funds raised kind of in 2019, they were investing in 19, 20, 21 paper. And uh, when you analyze that data, you see a lot of dispersion in performance. You see uh, some managers have done really well, uh, but many managers haven't done well. And so effectively, these captive funds are giving investors a static portfolio of tranches uh, uh, by managed by one single manager. On the other hand, third-party funds are uh, active funds where you are giving money to a third party manager who then picks you know among the 100 odd managers out there CLO managers and if they pick the best performing deals they pick the vintage they like they pick the structures they like uh, you pick the entry point depending on the arbitrage you're allowed to go into primary market or secondary market and most importantly you're allowed to risk manage your book so if you start to get concerned about sort of you know the tail risk in a CLO structure or you get concerned about a particular manager's performance, you're allowed to, and you should be trading out of that manager, out of that deal into something else. So it's actively managed versus a static pool. And I think that's where the big difference lies. Obviously, the negative with third-party funds is that you're paying an extra layer of fees to your third-party manager. But based on the data we have seen, that is more than offset by all the benefits I mentioned for third-party funds. So there's there's a lot of work we've done, a lot of data that's out there. And uh, you know, um, I think there is a place for both of these investments, right, uh, for an investor in their in their portfolio, uh, but they have to do their diligence uh, very carefully. While we're on the subject of um, management fees, do you find that you can read a lot uh, between the lines about a manager's strategy, uh, just purely based on where they set their fees in a way that's sort of predictive of how good a return you're going to get from one one particular deal? I'm not sure if it's necessarily predictive. I think there are just realities in the market today. You know, there's been a lot of pressure on fees. Very few managers have been able to 
hold the line on their fees and earn more than 40 basis points. Most of the market is now hovering in the 35 to 40 range with some managers below that. So it really depends on kind of the uh, the size of the manager, their performance, and whether they have their own equity or not. So it, those are some of the factors that impact that. I think one of the things that we try to also factor in is kind of how aligned the manager is to a performance. We think about the performance fee in CLOs and generally actually like the fact that there is a performance fee in there, which you know in many deals um, will be paid out if the manager you know performs well, uh, and that the question then is you know who earns that fee, right? So we we like situations where the management team, the analysts, the PMs are getting access to that incentive fee, and therefore they themselves are directly aligned with us. So we think about the alignment of the management company itself, uh, but also think about the managed alignment of the team that is going to manage the portfolio day-to-day. So just to, to summarize everything we've been talking about, um, there's going to be clearly a lot of dispersion in returns between different CLOs. I'd like to end by sort of attempting to put some numbers on what we've discussed. So in the upside, where do you see returns coming in for the, for the best performing CLO investment strategies? And then on the other hand, you know, what's, the, what's the ultimate downside for a poor strategy in your view? So I'll give you my summary view there, and then I'll dig into that a little bit more. I think if you invest carefully and you pick the best, highest quality deals, I think you can get high teens to 20% returns in CLO equity today, looking ahead, going forward, where you can buy it today. While if you get that decision wrong, the returns can be single digits to even negative going forward. So there is a huge dispersion between the best quality deals and the worst quality deals. And that really is the kind of value proposition here in either picking a manager uh, who then gives you access to these equity positions, a third-party fund, uh, or, or doing it yourselves, but really doing your homework and picking the right deal. So I'll just give you some underlying sort of thoughts there and um, uh, and give you some numbers as well. I think it all starts with where loans are trading today, right? If you look at loans trading below 890, which is a threshold that you know we think generally tells you if a loan is stressed or not, 15% of the loan market today is trading below 90. If you look at sort of the tiering of CLO portfolios, the top decile CLO portfolios have less than 10% trading below 90, while the bottom decile has more than 22% trading below 90. So there's a big, big difference between the cleanest portfolios and the lowest quality portfolios. Now, if you look at how CLO equity is valued, right, you have two components to CLO equity valuation. There is the principal and then there is interest. The principal value of CLO equity is what the equity tranche is going to get at the end when the portfolio is unwound, the deal is unwound. And the way we think about that and the way most of the market participants think about that is by looking at something called adjusted NAV. So you look at sort of, you know, the portfolio that's trading above 90, you generally assume that's going to be par, but the stuff trading below 90, you assume that you're going to recover current trading price. Uh, And based on that, you come up with what is the potential kind of recovery value, if you will, in the portfolio, the potential principal value of the portfolio. And when you look at that in, you know, among the portfolio, among the CLO equity tranches outstanding today, the, again, the top decile would have an adjusted NAV above 84 cents on the dollar, while the bottom decile is going to be below 12 cents on the dollar. So it's again, again, a huge gap. And uh, remember here, we're talking about you know, this this 94 cents and 12 cents I just talked about is assuming that the good loans that are above 90 go back to par. So it's not the actual NAV today. The actual NAV is even lower and the bottom deals are going to be negative NAV today. But this is eventually where we think the NAV would settle down to 
it's still only 12 in some of the poor quality deals. The second component on valuation is interest payments. So generally speaking, zero equity has been paying very robust cash flows across deals, generally kind of 4% or so per quarter, so 16% per annum. So when you value a zero equity tranche today, when we go to buy zero equity today, we're going to factor in the principal and interest and try to come up with a valuation of that today. And all, a lot of these factors go into coming up with the price, but it's still a very crude analysis. It doesn't take into account the fundamentals of the underlying loans, sector views, or impact of manager trading. So the real answer is what is going to happen going forward, what could happen going forward. So our view is that the loan market is bifurcated. Uh, loans above 90, we think are generally going to be fine, but the loans below 90, it's not totally sensible to assume that all those loans are going to be worth where they're trading today. Because first of all, the loan market is not that liquid, especially for stress names. And you know many of these names don't trade. And whenever there's a problem, some of these loans have dropped 30 to 50 points within weeks when there is a problem, whether that's because of poor results, behavior of sponsors, or it's because of some negative headlines. And so in order to really understand the value proposition in equity, you have to go and do fundamental work, look at the underlying loans, and try to figure out what the ultimate recovery value could be in these deals. Then looking at the interest component, which is also very interesting, you know, there is normally very high cash on cash distribution on equity tranches. But, you know, if you look at some of these bottom quality deals, they have a lot of triple C's today. And likely that triple C bucket is going to increase substantially, in some cases, potentially getting up to 20%. So when you, you know, when the triple C's go up that high, that's going to result in cash flow diversion. And those interest cash flows could also get pinched. So you really could have a situation where high quality equity continues to pay good cash flows and has high terminal value, while the poor quality deals not only have a significantly reduced principal value, but also uh, interest cash flows could get cut off. And so that possibility and that uncertainty in the market is what's really making it very interesting. We think the market is very inefficient today. And you know, a lot of good tranches are being sold with the bad tranches kind of at similar wide levels. And if you can you know, pick your tranches better in this dynamic market, there is a very good chance of making those high teens to 20% returns I talked about with one and a half to two X money multiple. While if you get it wrong, you could have certainly have negative uh, return expectations as well. So we think this is actually a great time to be adding alpha. And, um, you know, we're quite excited to be investing in this environment. Well, that's glad to hear. Um, Ujaval Desai, uh, Head of Structured Products Investing at Sandpoint Capital Management. Really interested to hear your thoughts today and how there's such a big uh, difference between you know, different profiles of CLO equity. Um, thank you so much for joining The Last Tranche and sharing what you have to say. Thank you.